Play's Ark by Octavia Butler, read by Fleabag Anus. Content warning for chapter 17. Um, chapter 17 has quite a liberal use of calling people fat and calling people crazy and referring to people as homosexuals as if all of those three things are bad pathological things. Just wanted to flag that. Past 17. Ironically, Eli, Mida and Noreen interrupted someone else's attempted abduction. Off Interstate 40, they found a car family, or a fragment of a car family, raiding a roadside station. There were few stations in the open desert these days. They offered water, food, fuels from hydrogen to fast charge for electric cars, vehicle repairs and even a few rooms for tourists. Stations help everyone, Mida said, as they watched the fighting. Even the rat packs usually leave them alone. But not this time, Eli said. Hell, this isn't even our fight. Let's see if I can get us out of here. He could not. The Ford had apparently been spotted. Now, as Eli swung it around, the car people began to shoot at it. The Ford's light armour and bulletproof windows were hit several times. Harmlessly. The bullet that hit the left front tyre should have been equally harmless. Instead, the tyre exploded. At the same moment, a high-suspension, tough Tianxian pickup came across the sand from the station to cut the Ford off. They could not get back to the highway. Eli stopped the Ford and grabbed Gabriel Boyd's old AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. It wasn't the newest of old Boyd's collection of antiques, but Eli liked it. He slipped off the safety and looked at the Tianxian over. Its two large, crudely cut gun ports presented the best targets. He aimed through one of the Ford's own custom-crafted gun ports. The Tianxian's big openings were bullseyes. The barrel that emerged from one of them seemed to move in slow motion. Eli fired. The rifle barrel in the Tianxian jerked. Eli fired twice more rapidly. The barrel in the Tianxian slid backward, stopped, then remained still, pointed upward. Eli held back his last two rounds, waiting to see what would happen. The Tianxian sat silent. An instant later, Mida fired her rifle. Eli looked around and saw a man fall only a few feet from the ford. On the opposite side of the car, Lorene fired her husband's rifle at a nearby rise. At first, it seemed she'd done nothing more than kick up a puff of dust. Then a woman staggered from concealment, arms raised, one hand clutching the rifle by its barrel. As they watched, she fell face down into the dirt. Mida, who'd probably been the best shot of the three of them before the disease, took aim at one of the other cars she fired. Again, nothing seemed to happen, but Eli swung the Ford around and charged the two cars. He had literally seen the bullet go through a window that was slightly open, and he could see through the tinted glass of that window well enough to know that Mida had made another kill. Others in the car had apparently had enough. The car turned and fled into the desert, followed by the third unscathed vehicle. <laughs> Amateurs, Mida muttered, watching them go. Why do they have to come to us and get themselves killed? Eli glanced at her, saw that she was actually angry at the car family for forcing her to kill them. 
She was almost crying. Idiots, she said. Big holes cut for shooting open windows, kids. Probably, Eli said, reaching for her hand. She avoided him, would not look at him. What they were doesn't matter, he said. They meant to kill us and we stopped them from killing us. You should be glad that they were amateurs, Lorene told her. If they were more experienced and better equipped, they would have killed us. Eli shook his head. I doubt it. We don't die that easily. And did you notice not one of them got off a shot at us after they blew our tyre? Yeah, Mida said. Amateurs. More than that, Eli told her. We, we scared the hell out of them. We moved so fast we seemed to be anticipating them. If they're amateurs, they must have thought we were pros. He sighed. Whoever's in the station might think that too, so I don't think we'd better hang around here to change change that tyre. A station master, Eli, Lorene said hungrily. A station man. He glanced at her. Maybe it's a station woman or a family like Gwyn's. But we could see, Lorene said. No, Mida's right about these places. They help everyone. We might need them more than most people, eventually. No sense closing this one down. To their surprise, the station master ended their argument for them by poking his head out of the station door, then stepping out and making a perfect target of himself. I don't believe this, Mida said. He's crazy, Eli said. He doesn't know what we might be, and he doesn't know whether there's anyone left in the Tian Shan. Mida shook her head. Well, he'll find out for us. The man drew no fire. He went to the Tian Shan and looked into the cab. He smiled at what he saw there, which must have taken a strong stomach and a strong hatred. I don't think he's the station master, Eli said. Station masters can be tough and solitary, but they're usually not suicidal. And not stupid, Mida said. He could have held out in that station and yelled for help. That would have wiped us out and the car people out. This area is still patrolled. Lorene got out of the car. Mida realised too late what she meant to do. Reached out to stop her, but Lorene was too quick. She'd shut her door and she was exposed to the, to the stranger. Eli and Mida moved in unspoken agreement to cover her. Later, if she survived, they could tell her one ass she'd been. The man and anyone still inside the station could see both Lorene and her protectors. For the moment, this is another kind of standoff. Can you believe she would risk her life for an ordinary little guy like that? Mida asked. Eli took a good look at the man. He was shorter than average, young, mid-twenties perhaps, overweight, though not grossly fat. His hair was a dull black, with no hint of any other colour, in any, even in the bright sunlight. She could have done worse, Eli said. He hasn't got anything wrong with him. And that extra fat is a good thing, believe me. Her leaner brothers could have used it. And for her, he's doubly attractive, uninfected and male. Hell, I hope, I, I hope she likes him once she has him. Mina glanced to Eli. She will. She won't be able to help herself. Is that so bad? he asked. She shrugged and said with a bitter amusement, How would I know? I'm as crazy as she is. She rested her head, her hand on his shoulder finally. He kept the hand comfortably captive as he watched the man and Lorene. 
The man was clearly afraid, not of Lorene, but of the two rifle barrels that he could see protruding from the ford. But he was also determined. Either he would live or he would die. But he would not do anything more. But he would not do any more hiding. She's got him, Ida said. Eli had seen. Lorene, clearly unarmed, had offered to shake the man's hand. With a look of uncertainty and dawning relief, the man had given his hand, then jumped back as she scratched him. He jerked his hand away, but let her catch it again as she apologised. To Mida's visible disgust, Lorene kissed the hand. Thin as she was now, Lorene was still pretty. The black-haired man was obviously impressed with her and confused and still suspicious. I think it's okay, Eli said. I'm going over there. She doesn't need your help, Mida protested. He ignored her, got out of the car, opened her door and waited for her to get out. Come on, he said. Seeing an old pregnant woman like you will help keep him calm. Maybe we won't have to hurt him. For a moment, she looked as if she wanted to punch him, but he grinned at her. She sighed and shook her head and then walked with him to Lorene and the stranger. It's okay, Lorene said. His name is Andrew Zayman, Zeriem. He was a prisoner. That's Tien. That Tien's his truck. Is it? Eli wanted to see the man's face when he answered. He did not trust Lorene's quick acceptance. The organism and her glands were doing too much of her thinking for her just now. The Carr family kept you alive? He asked Zeriem. The man stared at him hostilely. They did, he said. And the truck's mine. He looked ready to fight if he had to. Not eager, but ready. They would have killed me soon, he said. They were planning to. He was soft and plump and young. One of the car people had probably taken a liking to him. They might not have killed him at all if he had cooperated. His voice, his face, his posture said he had not. He was not a homosexual then, fortunately for Lorene. And if no one dug too deeply into what had been done to him during his captivity... Lorene might be able to convince him to come with her willingly. I'm going to get that sewage out of my truck and get out of here, he said suddenly. No, Lorene said quickly. Zeriam looked at her. There was no softness in his eyes. He looked from her to Eli, questioning. Eli shrugged. She likes you. Who are your people? Not another car family. Sorry. Who are you people? We're not another car family, man, don't worry. Shit, we just pulled up here to pick up some auto supplies. Tried to get out when we saw what was going on, but those fools wouldn't let us. I saw. I hate to say it, but I'm glad they wouldn't. You probably just saved my life. He hesitated. Listen, can I help you fix that tyre? <sniffs> Thanks, Eli said. What happened to the station master? Zeriam turned away. God, I managed to forget about her for a couple of minutes. One of the women from the car family decoyed her out. The car rat limped in all alone, pretending to have a car trouble. She had to go through half an hour pretending to cry so that the woman would try and fix the car. And then she tried to cry and was giving that performance that should have, should have been on TV before the station master would come out to help. This is a strictly self-serve station master centre, you know. Stick in your cash or card and punch in the push button. But the station master took pity, came out, and the gang came in and grabbed her. While they were busy with her, I made it into the station. Did they kill her? Eli asked. No. They they get more people. They get more fun out of killing people slowly. You don't look like they've done much to you, Lorene said. 
Ziriam turned without looking at her and walked away towards his truck. Look, Eli told Lorene, you lay off that one subject and show him how much you like him and we won't have to use force. But you'll have you'll have him willingly as well now as well as later. But why? Lori, Mida said with more understanding than Eli would have expected. That's not asking much. Don't you want him enough to do that? Lorene wet her lips and went after Zaria. Mida came to stand beside Eli. The guy's nothing to look at, she said, but there may be more to him than I thought. Yeah. Want to help me change that tyre? Hell no. What do you want me to do? Have the kid early? Why don't you go in the station and see what's there that we can use? Without the station master, this place is finished anyway. There should be a highway patrol copter out here sooner or later, she said. The station master's probably had to check in a schedule with them, and she won't be keeping one now. So we'll hurry, Eli said. Still, she hesitated. Eli, what do you think of that guy, really? Eli shrugged. I think he's okay, and I think he might not want to go home right now. I think he might start to see Lorene as, as just what he needs, though. She nodded. That was the impression I got. She went into the station finally. That was when Zerium came over without Lorene to talk to Eli. You know, she's uh, trying to get me to join you, he said bluntly. I know, Eli said. What the hell would I be joining? Eli smiled. A little 19th century ranch in the, in the ranch in the mountains that you can't even see from here. Chickens, hogs, rabbits. The place will work your ass off. So will she, I expect. The man did not smile. How many others? One other, a woman, Eli said. Three women? Syriam asked. How the hell did you wind up in the mountains with three women? Eli's smile vanished. Accidentally, he said. The way you wound up here accidentally. They stared at each other for several seconds, Syriam clearly not liking Eli's evasion, but not quite as willing to probe it as he had been. So you live on a ranch with your harem, and what do you need me for? Nothing, Eli said. He jerked a thumb towards Lorene, who waited beside the Tian Shan. She needs you. What about you? I don't care. You're welcome as long as you'll share the work. What about Lorene? What about her? Silence. Eli gave a short laugh. I don't own anybody, man. People do what they want to do. If she likes you, she likes you. Sirium spent several seconds squinting at him in the sun. Why do I believe you? He said finally. After that shit with the car gang, why should I believe anybody? You dump your garbage? Eli asked. The body? Sirium asked. Yeah, good shooting. Why don't you fuel up then? The ranch is a long way from here, over a lot of long, lonely dirt roads. <clears throat> they stared at each other for a moment longer. Then Zerium looked over at Lorin. She stood where she'd been, waiting beside his truck, watching intently, and though Zerium did not realise it, listening. Finally, Zerium went to her. She got into the truck with him, and they drove around to the fuel lot. Present 18. Kira knew what she wanted. She was afraid Eli would leave without giving it to her, because she was young and ill. She was afraid touching would be enough for him. But she showed, but he showed no signs of wanting to leave. 
Why? he asked her, rubbing her bare arms beneath the kaftan's loose sleeves. I've never tried so hard to spare someone. Why did you just do that? She liked the way his hands felt, not bruising or scratching, just rubbing gently. If everything he told her was true, he was enjoying it more than she was. She closed her eyes for a moment, wondering whether he really wanted his question answered. She did not think he did. I didn't want to be alone, she said, and that was true, as far as it went. <clears throat> and you, Eli, why didn't you aim that guy, Kanishiro, at me when he asked about me? Eli's expression hardened and his hands closed around her arms. She smiled. I think I want to answer your question honestly, she said. I think I can say it to you. She hugged him, then backed away, escaping his hands. The hands twitched and he took a step towards her. Wait, she said. Only for a moment. Bear it for a moment while I tell you. He stood still. She took a deep breath and met his eyes. I think, she began, I know part of the reason I want you is that I'm, I'm dying. But it is you that I want, not just a warm body. Before I didn't want anyone. There were some guys who wanted me even after I got sick, but I never, I thought I would never. She floundered helplessly, unable to finish, wishing she had not begun. At least he did not laugh at her. <clears throat> you might die, he said. There was no conviction in his voice. Stephen Kanashiro needs a woman whose chances are better, and you, I, I wanted you with me. She let out a breath that she had not known she was holding and tried to go back to him. Wait a minute, he said, holding her at arm's length. Maybe I have a couple of things to say to you too. I want you to know me. God knows why. It's always been to my advantage not to have people know me that well at first. You know why, she said quietly. He could not keep his hands off her, so he settled for holding one of her hands. You have a son, she said. Who's his mother? Mida. Mida? She and I have two sons. You're married then, he smiled. Not formally. Besides, I have four more kids by other women. She stared at him, first in surprise, then imagining what her mother would have said about him. I've heard about men who do that, she said. He smiled grimly. Your mama told you to keep the hell away from sewer rats like that, didn't she? At least, she said. She wondered why she did not pull her hand away from him. Six children by five different women. Good God. Why? She demanded. Young women survive, he said. Right now we have the best balance we've ever had between men and women. Kaneshiro is the only extra man we've ever had. Now he's not extra anymore. But I am, Kira said. You and your father because you're related. So when women are extra, you get them. That's exactly right, Eli said. And when men are found for them, I give them up. We begin that way out of biological necessity. I was alone with three women. The organism doesn't permit celibacy for any reason other than isolation. But well, what about Mida? Kira asked. What about her? Why do you have two kids with her? Well, Mida's as close to a wife as I'm ever going to get, Eli said. He looked a little wistful. We always get back together. But... But right now she's with my father. Yes. And you don't care? I care, 
Eli said, though not as much as I would if she weren't already a couple of months pregnant. She's taking care of your father and I'm taking care of you. And Rain was alone, Kira thought. At least Eli had said she was. Kira wondered why she tended to believe him so easily. She wondered why the things he was telling her were not more disturbing. He was everything her mother had warned her against and more. And she did not doubt her mother had been right. Yet all she regretted was that she would not be able to keep him. Her own feelings were so irrational they frightened her. If I told you I didn't want to be part of your harem, she said, would you go away? She felt the hand that held her stiffen. I don't think so, he said. I don't think I could. She thought if she was ever going to be afraid of him, now would be the time. Let go of me, she whispered. His grip on her tightened, became painful, and then was suddenly released. His hands were shaking. He looked at them with amazement. I didn't even think I could do that, he swallowed. I can't keep doing it. That's okay, she said. She took his hand again and felt the shaking stop. He gave her a slow smile that she'd not seen before. It confused her, warmed her. She gave him her other hand but felt utterly foolish because she could no longer look directly at him. Because he did nothing for a while, apparently felt no need to hurry, she regained her composure. You like where you are, don't you? she said. I didn't care much for it today. Because of me. She managed to look at him again. But you like what you are most of the time. You think you shouldn't enjoy or like being a majority of one, but, but you do like it. He held her by the shoulders. Girl, if you convert okay and get even more perceptive, you're going to be spooky. She laughed, then looked at his hands. Don't you have to scratch me or something? I would, he said, if I weren't so sure I didn't have to. What? And then he drew her to him. Kissed her until she drifted from surprise at the thrust of his tongue to pleasure at the way he warmed her with his hands. You see, he said, who the hell need bite, needs biting and scratching? She laughed and let him lift her onto the bed. She expected to be hurt. She had read enough and heard enough not to expect the first time to be romantic and beautiful. And there was her illness to make things worse. She had never known it to make anything better. At least her medicine was still working. But somehow he managed not to hurt her much. He handled her like a fragile doll. She did not think she could have stood that from anyone else, but from him it was a gift she readily accepted. She had some idea of what it cost him. Eventually, pleased and tired, they both slept. It was ten to two when Kira awoke. She stumbled off to the bathroom, her mind barely awake until she saw the clock on the bookcase. Ten to two. Two. Oh, God. Eli had given her reason to go. If she stayed and somehow lived, he would pass her on to some other man. She did not want to be passed on. And she did not want her father to leave without her or to try and leave and be killed because she could not have helped and had not. By the time she came out of the bathroom, she had made up her mind. But how to get away from Eli? The door was locked. She had no idea of where the key was, in his clothing perhaps. If she went searching through his clothing, then unlocking the door, he would awaken, stop her. She would not get another chance. 
She'd have to hurt him. She cringed from the thought. He had gone to some trouble to avoid hurting her. He was not exactly a good man, but she liked him. Could have loved him, she thought, under different circumstances. Yet for her father, she had to hurt him. After all, he had not only... He not only had the key to the room door, but the keys to the wagoneer. Without the car keys, her father might have to spend too much time getting into the car, getting it started. He'd be caught before he even drove a foot out of the place. There was the clock, a non-digital antique with a luminous dial. It ticked loudly and it needed neither batteries nor electricity. If she hit Eli with it, he could probably be hurt, but he would be... He would, he could probably be hurt, but he, but would he be knocked out unconscious? Or would he wake up and knock her unconscious? The clock was heavy, but it was awkward and big. The elephant bookend would be better. She had noticed it when she put away the book she had tried to read. The space between the elephant's trunk and its body offered a good handhold. The base was flat and would do less damage, less gouging and cutting when she hit him. It was unpainted cast iron. Dull grey, heavy, and already just above Eli's head on the headboard bookshelf. <clears throat> she went back to the bed, climbed in. Hey, Eli said sleepily. He reached for her. The gentleness of his hands told her he probably wanted to make love again. She would have given a great deal to stay there with him. Instead, she reached for the elephant, gripped its trunk, and brought it down with all her strength on his head. He gave a cry not much different from the one he'd given at orgasm. Frightened, she hit him again. He went limp. She had hurt her own hands and arms with the force of her blows. She knew she was weak, had feared at first that she could not really hurt him at all. Now she feared that she'd killed him. She checked quickly to see he was still breathing, still had a strong pulse. She found blood on his head, but not much of it. He was probably all right. She got off the bed. She pulled on her kaftan and stepped into her shoes. Then she tore into his scattered clothing. She found the car keys at once but could not find the one for the room. The room was the door was definitely locked, though she could not remember him stopping him to lock it, and there was no key. She went to one of the larger four windows. It was not locked with a key, but it was closed so tightly she could not budge it. She could break it, of course, but that would bring any number of people running. On the bed, Eli made a whining sound and she tore at the window. It opened inward rather than upward, but it had apparently been painted shut. She tried the other large window and found the same thing. Finally, she tried the two smaller centre windows. One of them opened. She dragged a chair to it, thankful for the rug that muffled the sound. She spent long, desperate seconds trying to get the screen open. In the end, she broke the catch, pushed the screen out and jumped. 